Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City Church, a community of believers committed to helping others find and fulfill their God-given destiny. And so now, I, with great pleasure and a big snappy smile, say, Dwayne and Vicky, come and tell us all about your adventure in Israel. Aren't you? I'm so excited to see you. Shalom, if it was the Jews, or Mahaba from the Arabs. And the Arabs also say Ahala Wasalan, which means welcome, welcome. And you'll hear that in English a lot of times, welcome, welcome. Many of you know, some of you may not know, we are missionaries that have been based in Israel for the last eight months or so. And uh, this church is one of the church that has sent us out. It's also one of the churches that we are bonded to. And uh, we really feel like we're part of the family here. And you've given us a place a lot of times to speak into your lives and into the life of this church. And we really appreciate that. Um, We want to share you a little bit. I think they're going to have some pictures behind us. And you can just kind of see some happenings, that some people that we've gotten to know, a car that we've been able to buy over in Israel, and uh, and some different things there. So we're just going to talk and tell you a little bit about what we're doing over there. So life in Israel has been interesting. Um, I, I think I grow more and more appreciative of being there because the Bible becomes more and more real to me. And that has been a, a really great thing for me. Village life is really interesting. You should come and see our village. It's a very small village but at Christmas time, we got to be a part of the Christmas tree lighting. And I tell people, you seen a Hallmark movie? I got to be in a Hallmark movie. That's how I felt for me. Because the whole village comes together and they um, count down the light, the, the Christmas tree. There's children everywhere excited and all the people. It's just this, this sense of joy and excitement. Muslims were there and Christians were there. And everybody was celebrating. And then at Easter time, another time that's very important to the Christians, it was another one of those special moments that the people came together and and you go to your individual churches and then at a certain time there's a a band from the Boy Scouts that comes around that's bagpipes and drums and everybody comes out of their churches and they get in line and there's palms waving and that you just march around the village and you end up at a high school where the the, the priests and our pastors this year were asked to also speak. And um, there were Muslims that would come out in their stores and they were cheering us on. And a few Muslims even joined in to show that they were supporting the Christians and they were, you know, happy about it. And it was such a time of joy and excitement that um, I loved it. I just kept saying, I'm in a Hallmark movie. You know, and that's how I felt. It was, this, it was just this, this time that um, Jesus was being proclaimed. And when our pastor got up in front of all these people and started reading the scripture, I was just like, yes, Jesus is being proclaimed here. And our mayor, that's a Muslim, he was there hearing the word that day. There were people there hearing the word that day. And that was, that was exciting and special for us. We've also got to attend a wedding, and we've attended funerals. And these are just some alike and some very different from us. We've got to see how people live day by day and been a part of family celebrations and just 
everyday life of walking to the stores to get our things, the, our food, and going from place to place just to visit the, the people and drinking lots of coffee because that's what they do there. And, and just knowing that this is what Jesus is doing. And um, the other thing I wanted to share is that I asked the Lord, why am I here? You know, I was just one day, why? Why am I here? Kind of thing. You know, what is your purpose, God? And, and God was really stressing for me to go and watch this video that Pastor Ken and Kay had, had shared from Bill Johnson. And I hadn't seen it yet. I didn't know why. And I went in and he started talking. And in it, he said, you have been chosen to go into places and shift the atmosphere. And God kind of went, that's you. And I was like, what? And he said, I placed you in this little village I placed you in this country to shift the atmosphere. And because of our presence there, I'm doing things, mighty things that I can do to you. And it was with that sense of purpose that we have continued our journey. We've been based in a little village called Tehran, which is about five or ten minutes from Nazareth, if you have no traffic, and about 20 minutes from the Sea of Galilee. And we are part of, we know many of the Arab believers there. We've also gotten to know some Jewish believers. And uh, being based there, we are part of a local church that a minister, the senior minister, has been pastoring for about eight or ten years. His dad pastored about 30 or 40 years before that. And about two or three years ago, this man had a dream to begin to hand the pastorate over to a young man who was raised up in the church there. You'll see some of his pictures there. Um, his name's Zied, and that's him in the blue there, and that's the pastor on the left, Salim, and they're praying for uh, Salim's daughter, who was actually getting married. And uh, Salim had a dream to begin to hand the pastor over to Zied. And we've known Salim and Zied for like 12 to 15 years. And so for us, as we, as we saw that we were to be based in the village there, it, it was a real honor to come alongside them and begin to help Zied get established. And because what we're doing is we're challenging them to reach out to Muslims. Uh, there's, there's three different very distinct cultures. There's Christians who were raised in Christian families. There's Muslims. And then there's Jews. And, and, and they see themselves that way. And if you're, a, if you're a Muslim and I'm a Christian, as long as we live in peace, then it's okay. That's the way a lot of them think. But what, what we believe is that the Lord has sent us there to really stir them and change the atmosphere so that they begin to see, wait a minute, that is a lost person made in the image of Christ, made in the image of God, and, and Christ died for them and rose from the dead to call them, to call them into his likeness. And how am I going to get that person into the kingdom except to love them? And so we've been there to, to challenge them and to encourage them, so much so that the mayor, who is a Muslim, I really had it in my heart to visit him. And so I found out how to get into the city hall. And everybody told me, you're probably going to have to make, a, make an appointment. But when I felt it was time, 
I'd, I had obtained a, an Arabic New Testament, and I walked into the city hall thinking I might get, to, get a chance to see him today. And sure enough, the guy said, yeah, if he's in, you can, you can go see him. I don't think he has anybody in the office right now. So he called up there, and I went right into the mayor's office, had about 10 or 15 minutes where I was drinking coffee, hearing his heart about bringing the people together. And he said, it's my job to bring the people together. People can build buildings. You know, other mayors can do that. And I'm doing that. But my job is to bring people together. And your job as a cleric is to bring people together. And, and so I listened to his heart. And, and I said, I wanted to bring this, this copy of the Injil, the gospel, the New Testament to you. And he opened it up. He said, oh, it's in Arabic. And, and I, said, I said, I want you to know we're praying for you. And Zied, the pastor there, one of the pastors, he, had, he said, he had told him just a couple months before that, we're praying for you. And I said, I want you to know that I have friends over in the States that are praying for you. And we have, we've been praying that God would give the Muslims in the land, especially the mayor, dreams and visions. And that they would feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit drawing, drawing them to Jesus. And and I said, before I left, I said, can I pray for you now? So he said, yeah. So I put my hand on his shoulder and I put my other hand on his heart. And I prayed that God would bless him as he, as he would seek God for wisdom, that God would bless him and would continue to bless the work of his hands to bring the people together. And I have my hand over this Muslim's heart. And I end it with Ismiyasua, in the name of Jesus. And we just believe that God is doing something new. I was walking with Zied through a part of a, a, the, the Muslim part of the village there. And he says, I never walked through here. I said, really? So walking with Zied, the pastor there, one of the pastors, and, and changing the atmosphere is, is part of what we've been doing. We've been helping them establish a prayer meeting on Wednesday nights. We're part of a regional prayer meeting. There's probably about three or 4,000 Arab believers up in the Galilee section where we are at. And the churches, they all know one another. If you live 45 minutes away, you can be sure a lot of the leaders there know a lot of the people and they just know one another. And so we, we've just been able to be right there and see some wonderful sights in the land. And we've been able to be a part of a church there that God is raising up to be, to be a voice in the land and to come alongside a young pastor that God is raising up to be a major voice in the land. So we count that a privilege. Part of what we're doing there is because this church is part of our heart, and we believe that part of the breakthrough that God began to bring in February to this church was, was also us being sent out. Because God said he's stretching our faith for the nations, and we want you to know that you are touching the nations you are touching the nations, and you are a part of that. I believe that as I was praying for this church, God really spoke to my heart when I was there in Israel about this church, and, and the word sinews came to mind. It's like, what is sinews? Sinews are muscles, they're, they're tendons, they're ligaments, where the flesh begins to come to the bones, if you remember Ezekiel 37, where the bones come together. And evidently that was talked about, I don't know. But... But uh, it's, where the, it's where the bones come together. And then he said, he said, let the flesh begin. Let the sinews begin to come to the bones. And what does that do? It begins to cause connections. 
it begins to connect you to one another. And I want, you, I want to encourage you prophetically in this church that God is giving you an, a chance to have divine connections. Now, I don't know what your past has been in other churches you've been in. Some of the faces I know, some of your faces I don't know. But God is giving you a chance to do church right. He's giving you an opportunity to do it right. He's giving you an opportunity in this stage of your individual life and your stage together to do it right. And as sinews come together, you find that there's connections. You find that, wow, I'm connected here. And then you might be connected in a ministry here and somebody else is connected in a ministry to this part of the body. But you find out that as you're connected and there's, there's this pulling and there's this, this connecting and there's this collecting, collective gathering together where you put your energy together that, oh, that's how that works with the children's ministry over here, even though I'm involved in a street ministry over here. One of the things I believe, too, is that God is bringing you together and connecting you so that channels of grace can begin to flow out into the community and even to the nations. So I really want to encourage you that you have an opportunity to see divine connections. And so when you feel the stirring in your heart to be part of heaven's gates and hell's flames, when you feel the stirring in your heart to be part of, of helping with a memorial service, when you feel the stirring in your heart to be part of ministries that happen in this church. God is giving you a chance to do church right, to be related with one another, and to walk together and to cause His grace to flow out to the community. Sinews coming together. The loosey-goosey grace that you had when you first started, it's not enough anymore. As you begin to see it, you know, I know my son. I always enjoy seeing my son, Blake, up here on the praise and worship team. And I was really encouraged last time we were here when he was singing. And, and, and I see connections and I see relationships and I see things happening. And you have that opportunity to do it right. You have the opportunity to see his grace flow out. And, and one of the things my son is doing is he started helping with the youth. And I was encouraged in my heart when he told me, he said, he said, you know, Jeremy told me, he said, if you're going to help with the youth, make sure you're committed. And that just caused, caused a joy to come to my heart because I saw him. We were eating lunch the first Sunday we were here. And he said, I need to go because Jeremy told me I need to be committed and I need to be there at two, two o'clock. And that showed me, wow, relationship, commitment. And as you become part of, part of one another and God calls you to make that commitment, realize that he's doing it so that his grace can flow out. Not only to you, but also to the community. But first you have to receive it. And as you walk it out, then grace begins to flow. And you just watch, watch, five years, ten years, what will be the testimony? I was, I was watching the praise and worship team, and I know that there's, you are experiencing a greater anointing from the praise and worship team. But before we even left to go to Israel, God had told me that he was increasing the anointing. And so I've been here now. This is our second Sunday since we've been back 
here with you, and I'm just watching the anointing flowing. And this is what you are experiencing. It's not just, okay, well, I was a part of this church, now I'm a part of this church. No, it's something that God is collectively bringing together. Sinews are beginning to come together. Tendons and ligaments where there's divine connections to cause something great to happen. Because there's a grace that flows out of this church that does not flow out of other churches. Praise God for other churches that he has established in the community. But God has raised up Brother Don and Sister Becky as spiritual elders in the city. And they've been here many, many years. And he is just now beginning to see some of the things that, has, that God placed in his heart many years ago. And you have a chance to begin to see the desires of your heart to begin to come to fruition and to begin to bear fruit. We thank you for standing with us as we are part of going to the nations and a part of this church part of grace flowing out to other nations. And believe me, you are in our hearts and you are in our prayers. And Father, I thank you that you are working in the people here, that grace is coming together, that sinews are coming together, that there is, that there is an opportunity to be filled with more grace in their lives, individually and collectively, than they have ever felt before, than they have ever experienced before where they can know you and they can have this true relationship where they are divinely connected with one another. And I thank you, Lord, that in this church, people will know in this community and even in places around the world, they will know that they are your disciples because of the love that they have for one another. I thank you, Lord, that wounds are being healed past wounds where people have experienced that wounds are being healed so that freely as they receive your grace then freely they can give your grace i thank you lord for divine connections coming together to flow out to that grace can flow out into this community and in places around the world thank you for the opportunity to be connected with such a special special people that you have brought together here in Salisbury, North Carolina. We give you thanks, Lord. We give you thanks. Ismi Asua. Amen. Praise the Lord. I, I, I honestly uh, didn't talk to Twain about what we said last week at all. I, mean, I don't know that anybody has except the Lord, but... Uh, um, I want to share with you just for a moment what happened Wednesday night. This was just an amazing thing. You know, we're having intercessory prayer here on Wednesday night. And we came together Wednesday night, and the Lord just laid several scriptures on my heart to share out of James chapter 5. And uh, the Lord uh, led me to James five thirteen through 17. And, I'll, you know, if you should know that scripture by heart. If you don't, uh, shame on you. But anyway, you could, uh, it says, if there's any among you that are afflicted, let them pray. And if there is sick among you, let them call for the elders of the church and anoint them with oil and pray the prayer of faith. And the prayer of faith shall heal them. If they've committed any sin, it shall be forgiven. And it says also to... Uh, Confess your faults to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed for the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And then it says in verse 17 that Elijah was a man with like passions even as you and I. 
And he prayed, and God shut up the heavens for a period of three and a half years. And then he prayed again, and God opened up the heavens and poured rain upon the earth and watered the earth. And I was thinking about that, and I was thinking, I got to go back and take a look at this, because it doesn't talk a whole lot about that when Elijah appeared on the scene. But if you go back to 1 Kings chapter 17, all of a sudden, Elijah, this Tishbite from, the, from a little country called Tishbe, shows up, and he's before Ahab, the king, and he's prophesying over the king of Israel. And he's saying to the king of Israel, it's not going to rain again until I give the word. How did he know that? How could this man know that it wasn't going to rain again until he gave the word? Obviously, he'd been praying and seeking the Lord, and he had the mind of God on something because he was speaking forth. And so, three and a half years go by, and the reason why it had come to that point, if you go back to 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verses 13 through 14, you see the reason why Elijah was confident in making that prophetic statement is because he was backing up what the Word of God had already said when Solomon dedicated the temple. And God appeared to Solomon again, and he spoke to Solomon, and he said, you know, if, if my people... If you will honor me, I'm going to bless you. But if you don't, if you start turning to other gods, if you start serving other gods other than me, and you start putting up idols, he said, I'm going to shut up the heavens so that it doesn't rain upon the earth. But if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. So here's Elijah making this prophetic statement to Ahab. This is some years past, or some years beyond when Solomon made that statement. And Elijah, this Tishbite, that almost sounds like a, something you fish with, Tishbite, Tishbite. But he's, he says that to him. And then you go to chapter 18, the next chapter over, and Elijah is just this powerful man of God, and he challenges the people of Israel. He says, look, you guys have got to stop it. I mean, how long are you going to vacillate between two opinions? Either you're going to serve God, or you're going to serve the gods, you're going to serve the, the, the Baals and the Ashtoreths. You've got to make up your mind who you're going to serve. He said, we're going to have a little contest and just see whose God is God. You all know the story how he, he, he goes up on the mountain, he invites the prophets of Baal to come, and, 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 and he lets them go first. He was a true gentleman. He said, you go first. And says, what we're going to do is we're going to put our sacrifice on the altar, and the God that answers by fire, he is God. And so they did. And so you, you see these 450 prophets of Baal, and they're squalling and begging and cutting themselves and dancing and chanting and everything they knew to do to get something to happen, and nothing happens. Nothing. Just dead silence from the heavens. And Elijah starts having a little fun with them. You know, he's taunting them. and Oh, maybe your God's on vacation. Maybe you went to Disney World. Maybe you went to the bathroom. You know, where's your God? I mean, you know, and, and he taunts them. And they do this all day long. And they're cutting themselves and bleeding. And it's just a bloody mess. And then Elijah prays a simple prayer. He said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. He said, my God's going to answer, but here's what I want you to do. I don't want to just, I don't want to just put the sacrifice on the, on the altar. 
I want you to put some water on it. And so they came and put some water on it. He said, well, you know, I really want you to know that my God is the real God. So put some more water on it. So put some more water on it. And, and there's so much water that started pouring off the altar. So he said, dig a trench around it. So dig a trench around it and it filled up the trench. So here's this wet offering laying on the altar. And Elijah prays. And God not only answers, he answers by fire to the extent that it consumed the sacrifice, it consumed the wood, it consumed the altar itself, even licked up the fire around it. So now they know that he is God. And Elijah's not through yet. So he's got to get rid of the competition. So he deals with the, the prophets of Baal. And he has the Asura the prophets slain too. So 950 prophets are no more. And when that's all over with, that's all over with, it says that then Elijah goes to the top of Mount Carmel. And he gets on top of Mount Carmel. He's had an exciting day already. And some of us, you know, we, we talk about our day. I mean, how would you like to have been Elijah? There he's got this contest with 450 prophets of Baal. And, and, and he, 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 he goes through the, all this. And then he goes to a prayer meeting. On top of the mountain, it's just him and his servant. And they get to the top of the mountain, and it says, And then Elijah bows himself down with his head between his legs in a birthing position, and he begins to pray that God would open up the heavens. And he tells his servant, he said, Go to the top of the mountain, see if you see anything. And so his servant goes, and he comes back and says, I don't see nothing. I see nothing. He says, Go again. So he goes, Come back. I see nothing. Six times he does this. And then on the seventh time, he comes back and he gives him an encouraging word. How many know sometimes just a little small thing can be encouraging to us? Especially if you've been in the middle of a battle. He'd been praying hard and he just needed to... And he says, I don't see anything but a little cloud over the sea and it's about the size of a man's hand. And Elijah says, quick, run, tell Ahab to go back to Jezreel because... I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. Wow. Just from that? Just from that little cloud, size of a man's hand? And all of a sudden, things begin to happen. And Ahab is heading back to Jezreel, and it says that Ahab, that uh, Elijah pulls his cloak up and he ties it around, you know, he ties it around his waist and he runs ahead of the chariot all the way back to Jezreel and then the rains come I thought about that you know and, and so as we were here praying the other night I encouraged everyone here and the Lord just spoke to me again and he says you know I encourage everybody to pray in the spirit so we're praying in the Holy Ghost and it was an awesome, awesome time of prayer. I'm telling you, it was, if you want, it's one of those times when God shows up and you don't want to leave. It was. The presence of God was so strong here. It was just such an awesome presence. Nobody wanted to go home. And there weren't that many of us, about 10 of us here. But it was amazing. But God just spoke to my heart and said, you know, whatever it is that you're desiring to happen, if it lines up with my word, you need to prophesy it. You need to speak it out. You need to speak it forth. So I told the folks that were here, I said, look, 
The Bible says, I would that you all speak in tongues. It's a good thing to speak in tongues. I mean, we talk about tongues and everything else, and some people are scared of it and all that. Shame on you because it's in the Bible. And, and it's for us today. It hasn't died out. We need it even more now than ever before. But that being said, he said, I would that you all speak in tongues, but I would rather that you prophesy. But I'm not a prophet. I'm not a prophet. I can't prophesy. You do it all the time. You do it all the time. You get up in the morning and you say, Oh man, it's such a horrible day. It's raining outside. It's going to be a nasty day. Guess what? You just prophesied. You just prophesied. And what did the day turn out to be? A nasty, horrible day. Because by your words you are justified and by your words you are condemned. So we need to learn to prophesy, to speak forth those things that God has put into our heart and season our day with, a, with the voice of the Lord to prophesy over our families, to prophesy good, to prophesy good over ourselves. This is going to be a fantastic day in the Lord. This is the day the Lord has made and I will rejoice and be glad in it. It's going to be a good day because Jesus is with me. The Holy Spirit is inside of me. There's nothing that can conquer or overcome me greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world it's a good day how could it not be a good day amen which leads me this morning to spiritual warfare we've been talking about spiritual warfare for a couple of weeks I didn't want to leave that I wanted to, I wanted to stay on it because this is so 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 important and, and, and this, this gives me an opportunity for an advertisement guys men God is making some iron men. Proverbs 27, 17 says that as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens the other. We need to sharpen one another. We are starting a series next Saturday morning at 8.30 here. We're going to meet right over here in this little room or probably over there. If we got, it's it's a little, probably a little better in the kids' room because we've got a TV in there. But this is called Conquer Series. Now, guys... A lot of men struggle with sexual thoughts and addictions. Now, I want to say something that, that has, has, has proven to be true. In the church, in the church, 60 to 68% of men regularly view pornography. Wow. In the church... 50 to 58 percent of pastors have or are currently struggling with pornography addiction and sexual addictions. It's awfully quiet in here, isn't it? And we just say, well, that's not me. But we, we deal with the shame aspect of it, and we're afraid to confront it. We're not talking about just bringing it up and talking about it ad, ad infinitum. We're not talking about that. We're talking about conquering it. Yes. We're talking about dealing with it and destroying it. And so that's what this series is all about. One of the statements he makes in there, he has a picture of a jet flying down and just rolling and is doing all this evasive tactics and stuff. And, and the pilot is standing before his commander and the commander says to the pilot, he says, you know how to fly, but you don't know how to fight. 
And that's the way some of us are. We know how to evade and get around the subject, but we don't know how to fight it. We're going to teach you how to fight it. Because we are in a spiritual war. We're not in a spiritual playground. We are at war with the enemy. There is a real enemy who is out to destroy you. He hates you. He hates your God. He hates anything that looks like him. And you were created in his image. He is out to destroy you whether you like to think of it or not. And you wonder, what's going on in my life? Why is my life the way that it is? It's because there are things that the enemy would try to do to destroy your life. The thief comes not but for to kill, to steal, and to destroy. But Jesus said, I'm come to give you life and give you that more abundantly. So we're in a battle. Where does the battle begin? Where does the battle begin? In our minds. If the enemy can control our thinking, he can control our actions and can short-circuit or destroy our destiny. So we have got to fight him. We've got to take it to the battle to the enemy. When I think about David on the battlefield with Goliath, I love the picture. I get this picture of David, and I don't see David trying to entice the giant to come after him. Come on, you know, but I see David like this. He's got, the, he's got the sling in his hand and he challenges the giant. And he says, you big man, you come at me with a spear and a sword and a javelin. But I come at you in the name of the Lord God of Israel whom you defiled. And he put him down. He ran to the battle. He didn't run from it. He ran to it. And you and I have got to run to the battle. We've got to destroy the enemy. Here's how we do it. Realize, 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 5. For though we walk in the flesh, look at me. This is flesh and blood. Pinch that, it hurts when you do. Yeah, it tickled a little bit. But <laughs> this is flesh and blood. Real flesh and blood, and you can see it. But you can't see the real me inside. For though we walk in the flesh, we war not after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God and taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Every thought. Our thought life is so, 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 so very important. And sometimes we just want to, we just want to just kind of mellow out and just whatever we think, we just think it. And, you know, back in the day, back when I was a, a teenager, there was a, a, a thing that came around and, and you had all these old uh, scraggy looking gurus that would teach you how to do transcendental meditation. In other words, it's meditation on nothingness. It's just opening up your mind and just letting whatever come in. And it was kind of cool, hippie. And everybody was doing it. 
what happened was that people were opening themselves up to demonic all kinds of things that were taking control of their lives and I had some people that tried to entice me to go and, and, and take part in one of the transcendental meditation teachings and I'm like well let me, let me see something here now you are doing the same thing I'm doing your life is messed up even worse than mine why do I want to go and get even more messed up I'm messed up enough I don't need any of the transcendental meditation stuff I think enough weird stuff as it is. I don't need that. And so thank God I never got into it, but it, it's, it's the mind that we deal with. The, the Amplified Bible reads it like this. It says, For the weapons of our warfare are not physical weapons of flesh and blood. They are mighty before God for the overthrow and destruction of strongholds. Insomuch as we refute arguments and theories and reasonings and every proud and lofty thing that sets itself against the, the true knowledge of God. And we lead every thought captive into the obedience of Christ the Messiah, the Anointed One. We're putting every thought under the Lordship of Jesus. Every thought. We submit it to Him. The things that we think. When we begin to do that, then that requires that we have this little purging taking place. You know, Jesus said in, in Mark chapter 7, verses 21 and 22, it says, from, for from, with, from within a man, out of the heart of man, proceed evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adultery, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. So, how did it get in? Well, the Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, that the heart is deceitful and wicked above all things. Who can know it? But it is I who try the reins of the heart, says God. God knows exactly what's in our heart and that's the real issue. It's the heart issue because it's, it's, it's this area inside of us, the very core of who we are. I think we call it our character. And if we, our character is, if we are people of integrity and that word integrity means that we are one inside. We're not double-minded because the Bible says in James that the double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. It's like disciples, you know. He, he, really, it, it's where we, we think about being bipolar. In, in, you know, one, we're this way and we're that way. By, die, two minds. Disychos. On one, on one hand, we're trying to think as a child of God thinks and on the other hand we're thinking like the world thinks and, and, and so we just got this mixed up thing going on inside of us and so we're losing the battle we're losing the battle what do we do? well we have to bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ we have to cast down those imaginations and those high things that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. We've got to defeat those thoughts. It's all in our thought life. How do we do it? You can't do it by watching R-rated movies. You can't do it by, by reading filthy books. You can't do it by watching stuff that involves witchcraft and sorcery and all of those things unless you want that kind of thing inside of you because once it gets inside of us, you know the old adage? Garbage in, garbage out. And that's what Jesus is talking about. 
It's from within us that these kind of things come out. That's what defiles us. Because if it gets in it, inside of us, and it works inside of us, then it brings defilement. That's why Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, he says to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What does it mean to work it out? Well, I want to put it to you like this. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and the Spirit of God breathes life inside of you, you are born again. You are a child of God. You are saved. Your spirit is saved. But your soul has got a lot of work to do. Your soul isn't saved. You know, well, my soul was saved on, no, it wasn't. Your spirit was saved. Your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. And Paul said, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. If any man be in Christ, and it's Christ in you, that's the hope of glory. Colossians chapter 1, 27. It's Christ working in you. You're working out your, your salvation with fear and trembling. You know who you are and realize that change has to take place. And Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ, but it's not I that lives. It's Christ that lives in me. He knew what it was about to allow Christ to live inside of him. The image of Christ inside of him. That doesn't just happen by osmosis. It happens because we dedicate ourselves to it. And Jesus said, if any man come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me daily. And he also said this in Luke chapter 9. He said that any man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is no longer fit for the kingdom. So we can't be looking over our shoulder at what was. Paul says, those things that I once was, you know, I've counted all as dung and I lay it all behind me. He says, and, and I put my focus forward. He says, I, 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 I keep my eye on the prize and I keep moving forward toward the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Forgetting those things which are behind me because they're of no value. They're like dung. They, they have no value in my life anymore. And there are things in my life that I had to lay down and things I'm still having to lay down because as I'm moving forward in the kingdom of God and I evaluate and I do daily evaluations and I look and I say, is this being profitable to me as a man of God? Is it profitable for godliness? Oh, man. I'm preaching a whole lot better than y'all saying it. Amen. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 6 gives us kind of a panoramic view of what it's like to be in a spiritual warfare. And, 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 and in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul's telling the church at Ephesus, he says, you know, having done all that you can, stand. Stand, therefore, with your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. I mean, that's like having happy shoes, realizing that we should not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God into salvation. It is the power. No man comes to God unless, he, unless he's heard, unless he's heard, heard the word. Paul says, you know, how can they hear unless there's the preacher? And how can there be a preacher unless one is sent? 
So we have, we have this thing working together where we're not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, realizing it is the power of God into salvation. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We've got to hear the gospel in order to be saved. So you and I are, are, are like these, these transmitters of the gospel of Christ. We are the germ that infects others. We're the virus. We carry it. It's a good virus, by the way. Then after we have shod our feet with the preparation of, 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 the, of the gospel of peace, it says having your loins girt about with truth. Having your loins. I looked at that word loins. In the Greek, it literally means your buttocks. It also means your reproductive organs. Having them girt about with truth. Now what does reproduction have to do with us? Well, when you put it in a spiritual sense... We're called not only to, to uh, be believers, but we're called to take this gospel to others and share with them. You know, sharing the gospel is very easy. It's just simply one beggar telling another beggar where he gets his food. Where does it come from? It comes from him. And so we realize it's the power of God that changes the gospel that, that is the power of God. So we have our loins girt about with truth. What is the truth? The uh, aletheia. It is something that is not false. Not false. There's a lot of false things being said today that have nothing to do with the gospel. The devil is a That's all he ever was. All he ever will be. He don't know how to speak the truth. So when someone who doesn't know Christ tries to tell you something that's in the Bible, be careful. How many have ever heard this statement? You know, the Bible says that cleanliness is next to godliness. Anybody ever heard that? That's found in, in first, first um, dictionary. No, it's not in the Bible at all. It really isn't. In the Bible, I've heard people say, you know, the Bible says that God helps those who help themselves. Have you ever heard that? The people will ascribe, they say, and, and here's another one. You know, the Bible says that he makes everything work out for you good. That's, a, that's, a, that's true, but it's only a partial statement. Because it's, the Bible says in Romans 8, 28, that he makes all things work together for the good of those who love him and who are the called according to his purpose. That's when it works. It's when we're working with the purposes of God and we're bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. When we are destroying and demolishing those strongholds in our lives. What is a stronghold? A stronghold is something that gets a stronghold on your mind, on you. And the enemy wants to get a stronghold on your thinking. And he starts like this You're worthless. You're worthless. You're just an old vile sinner. You can never be good enough for God because you're just worthless. You were born a sinner, you'll always be a sinner. You can't change. Anybody ever heard that? You know where that comes from? The devil. He lies. And that's why it's important that we have the helmet of salvation what is the helmet of salvation 
It is the confidence in knowing that you are a child of God. And once you know who you are in Christ, you know then that God loves you no matter what, that he will never despise or turn you aside, that he loves you because you are a child of his. How many of you love your kids? How many would ever tell your child, I don't love you? Well, you see what you did? I don't love you no more. You just get on out of here. No, God don't do that. We see that played out and displayed in the, in the, in the parable of the... Well, it's not a parable. It's a story. It's a real story. An actual, actual story of the, of the son who had left his father... And I think we get it backward because we say the prodigal son. No, it was a prodigal father because prodigal means extravagant, over-extravagant. Because the father, even though his son sinned against him and took everything and he had and wasted it on riotous living, he comes back to the father. What does the father do? He immediately restores him. No questions asked. He didn't say, where have you been? What have you been doing? You go get yourself a bath before you come in this house. You get cleaned up, boy, before you come in here. Did he do that? No. He, he said, hurry, get a robe, put it on him, put the ring on him, put sandals on his feet. You know, get, get the fatted calf killed. Let's get ready to party. He was ready because his son had come home. He loved him. That's the relationship with, we have. That is the helmet of salvation, knowing who we are, the soteria, which means delivered, saved. We're saved by grace through faith. Saved by grace through faith. Not of works, lest any man should boast. You and I can do nothing to obtain our salvation except believe in what Jesus has done. Once we receive that, we're saved. We have the helmet of salvation. We know who we are in Christ. Then once we've done that, then he says, he says, take up the shield of faith. with which you will be able, be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one. Take up the shield of faith. Now think about this. Faith as a shield. Faith as a shield. Now, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. That word, word there in Romans chapter 10 verse 17 is the word rhema. It's, it's hearing from God and, and, and understanding what God is saying. That rhema of God, once we understand and know who we are in Christ, no matter what the enemy does, that shield of faith, hey, you can't touch me, can't touch this. I belong to Jesus. In order to get to me, you got to get through him. That's a pretty strong shield. The Lord is my shield and my buckler. He is my salvation. He is my strength. In order to get to me, because my faith and my confidence is in him, that's an impenetrable shield. The enemy cannot get to me. And guess what? He encompasses me on all sides. The devil can't sneak around behind because he encompasses me on all sides. I am safe in Him. He is my shield, my buckler, my high tower. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. Proverbs 27, 10. We know. Ah, take up the shield of faith. 
And then he says, the helmet of salvation, and last but not least, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Which is the Word of God. Take up the sword of the Spirit. Now, what is the sword of the Spirit? The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, that the Word of God is quick and powerful. What does that word quick mean? Like, no, it means alive. It's alive! (laughs) The Word of God is alive when it's in us. When His Word is activated because we have put it into our heart that we might not sin against Him, and so much more, it becomes an issuance out of our mouth that destroys the enemy. It is written. It is written. Thus says the Word of God. This is what God's Word says. God has an answer for everything. Do you know that? Jesus is the answer, but there is an answer for every question in the Scriptures, if you look for it. It's there. It's there. There's answers for life. There's answers for death. There's answers for living. There's answers for dying. There's answers in the Bible. They are there. There, There's strength. There is the Word of God that humbles us. There's the Word of God that exalts us. It's, It's all there for us if we will only look for it and apply it to our lives. It is the sword of the Spirit. Interesting, when we go to the book of Revelation and and we see John's picture of Christ and when he sees the revelation of Jesus and he sees this, this, this figure of a man with white hair and white vesture and eyes like fire. And it says, and there's a sword that issues out of his mouth. I mean, that's kind of a gruesome picture to think, you know. Here's this white-headed guy with flames coming out of his eyes and the sword coming out of his mouth. Now, he's seeing something, and this is the only way that he can describe it. And what he sees coming out of the mouth of God is, the, is a sword that destroys his enemy and annihilates them. That's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And we have the sword of the Spirit with which we can annihilate the enemy. We can cut him to shreds because it is written. Remember when Jesus is, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil and the three, three temptations that he saw? And each time, what did he use to destroy the enemy's arguments? What did he do? He said, it is it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That's what he said on each occasion to destroy the enemy. That's what you and I have got to do. We've got to put the word of God inside of us. We have to study it for ourselves. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that doesn't need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Use this word that you have because it is the sword to you and Christ is the shield. You got everything that you need to overcome the enemy. Now next week, I am going to give you the offensive weapon of all offensive weapons to fight the enemy with. It destroys every argument. It destroys everything that the enemy has. It gives power to the weak. It's a weapon that you and I have at our disposal that we've got to learn how to use. It is a weapon that is so powerful that it causes everything to bow. I'm going to share that with you next week. Okay? Listen, you're in a battle, but you've already won it when we realize 
that Christ has won the battle for us, but we have to fight it His way. We're still in it. Though the battle has already been won, we don't have to lay down to the enemy. We don't have to cower to the enemy. We've got everything that we need to overcome Him. Because the Bible says that they overcame Him by the what? By the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony. They loved not themselves unto death. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even your faith. We've got everything we need to fight with. We're in a war, but we're winning. Amen? Amen. So, this is it. As I told our folks here Wednesday night, and I'd encourage you to come out Wednesday night. Please. For your family's sake. For your community's sake. For your sake. Wednesday night, we're doing some powerful, powerful interceding here. Intercession means to strike upon. I remember one time I was working on a bridge with my dad. I used to do bridge construction. And we were building what they called a curtain wall, which is at the very end of the bridge. They dug everything out except there was one rock that wouldn't move. And the only way to get rid of that rock, and because they'd already started everything else, they couldn't dynamite it. The only thing they could do was put, it, put a sledgehammer in somebody's hand. And guess who was elected? So I had a sledgehammer and I had a chisel. My job was to demolish that rock. I started working on it. And man, I'm thinking, this rock's not going to budge. But every time I hit it, I would get a little encouragement. I'd see a little bit break off. A little bit break off. And then I took that, that chisel and I started to go in one of those weak places and I began to hammer away at it. And by lunchtime, I had totally demolished that rock and made little rocks out of that big one. But I had to keep striking upon it. Intercede means to strike upon. It means a violent intersection. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence. And the violent take it by force. Sometimes we have to get violent with the enemy. Sometimes we just got to talk to him like an old dirty dog or something. To get him to understand we have to point our finger at him, prophesy, put him in his place. We have that authority to do that. You've been listening to Destiny City Church, a community of believers committed to helping others find and fulfill their God-given destiny. For more information, visit us online at destinycity.org.